just looking at what I'm calling some gospel gems. They're the results of being born again. They're the results of being what the Bible calls justified. And uh, uh, there, are, there are an innumerable number of priceless gospel gems. I'll show you a verse. Look at chapter 1 and verse 16. No other book was written like your Bible. There are a lot of religious books out there. There's a lot of you know, thoughtful books. I'm not demeaning other books to the point where they don't have value at all, but no other book is ever written like the Bible. Listen to just the gem, the priceless words of Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, not the church, not the preacher, but it is the power of God unto salvation to how many people? Not to Europeans, not to Americans, not to Africans, but to what? To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That is a gospel gem. Go to chapter 4, Romans chapter 4 and verse 20. Romans 4 and verse 20. Speaking of Abraham, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. What will make you stagger, stumble, quit? Unbelief. The worst sin of mankind is not murder, even though that's pretty bad. But the worst sin and the sin that will send you to hell is unbelief. And if you say, well, you know, uh, what's the point? The point is you've got to trust that God can do the impossible. He can save a soul like you. That's what you've got to trust. It says, Abraham, he staggered not at the promise of God. And then God has given you promises. I mean, that book is full of promises. It says, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, verse 21, and being fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised, he was able also to perform. That's a gospel gem. That's priceless. Chapter 5 now, verse 8. 5, 8. We'll look at this next week, but verse 8 is just another one. God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet good people, is that what it says? Religious people. No, while we were yet sinners, hallelujah. Every one of you should just shout hallelujah. Um, uh, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Go to chapter 8, verse 1. Chapter 8. You ever feel like the devil's winning? You ever feel like the world's winning? You ever feel like you're a loser? You're defeated. You just can't keep it. You can't do it. You just can't even believe it. Well, the Bible says this. There is therefore now no condemnation. Wow. To them which are in Christ Jesus. Now, how many came in and walked into church this morning? Amen. But that doesn't keep you out of hell. You've got to be in Jesus Christ. You've got to be in a relationship with him where he's Savior, not just somebody you talk to when you're in trouble. But that you asked him one day, one hour, one moment, you were desperate, you were lost, and without hope, without God, and you cried out, save me, you got into Christ. And it says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk now, not after the flesh, but we follow after the Spirit. That's a gospel gem. But the best of them all is when a Christian, who was just 30 seconds before a sinner condemned under the wrath of God, has been justified. Look back in chapter 5 where we are looking these few weeks. Chapter 5, 
And, and the best one is when you were declared righteous before God. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see those words, by faith? That's the best part. I mean, I didn't have to do anything to get saved. I just had to believe. You say, well, believe is a work. That's stupid. There's no work in belief. There is, there is a decision. And the decision, whether you're in a hospital bed or dying on a cross next to Jesus Christ, or whether you're in prison, I don't know where you are. You can be in your car. You can be sitting at church right now and decide, I will believe. I've had people, it's been a long time. I've had people, while I'm preaching, just something happens and they go, I'm going to believe. And they come up right after church and says, I'm now saved. I believed what that Bible said, and I know that I know that I know Jesus is my Savior. You don't have to wait till the end of the service. You can get saved right now, amen? Being justified by faith. Uh, before you were saved, you were at war with God. You need to admit that. He has his way of doing things, and you got yours. And the two of them go opposite, amen? And so you fought, uh, Isaiah 59 says this, your iniquities have separated, your sins have separated between you and God, and he doesn't even hear you. Uh, I told you last week, in this day and age, more people hate themselves. They hate their parents. I, I, I saw some woman, she's not the first one, but I saw some woman giving testimony how she tried to sue her parents for birthing her. She, she, she said, they should ask my opinion. <laughs> I went, Okay, this girl's sick. But people hate life. They hate their parents. They hate, their, they hate the way they look. They hate marriage. They hate God. That's the problem. They're upset at God. They're at war. Then you find out God is suing you for peace. Isn't that cute? That's an old-fashioned word. It means he's pursuing you to make peace. You see, when you have two uh, enemies... And they're at war. One of them has got to try and make peace. And God made the first move. He actually sent ambassadors maybe to your door, maybe to your desk at work or at school or maybe inviting you to church. And they told you about the terms of peace. And they invited you to peace with God. Do you remember that day? I remember it was a woman at a coffee shop. I didn't know she was an ambassador. I didn't know she was a saint. Her name was Maureen Smith. She's my spiritual mom uh, because she just came at me with, this is how you get right with God. This is how God saves you. And what was that? That was God sending somebody out of love for a sinner like me to try to make peace instead of the wrath. You see, we're all in trouble with God. Instead of facing his wrath, I'd rather face his grace. So uh, when Christ died in your place, he took on him the penalty and the punishment for all your sins. I was one time, I've talked to a couple of different Catholics. They say, well, Jesus died for about 90% of my sins. <laughs> I got to take care of the rest. And I go, that is, why would you demean and demote Jesus? He died and he said, it is finished. Not that he was finished, but everything he came to do and everything he needed to do to save your soul is finished. You don't have to do nothing. And he offers that righteousness, his righteousness to us as a gift. All he asks you to do is want it. Um, uh, I come from the old school. Somebody buys me a hideous tie. You know what I say? Wow, just what I wanted. <laughs> Amen. Now, some of you are so 
put out, you'd be, oh, I don't like that. Take that back. Shame on you. You see, when God saved you, he looked at you and he said, he should have said, I don't want him. <laughs> but you know what he said? I want you. As messed up as you are, I want you. I'll take you as you are. Amen. Aren't you glad? You can't. That's the gospel that God wanted us. And he justifies them godly like us. He just wonders, will you want him? In the very moment you humbled yourself and you just simply prayed and asked God to pardon you of your sins, guess what? That gavel in heaven fell and said, done, pardoned, justified. All the crimes you committed against God were absolved. Isn't that a wonderful word? It was destroyed. It was removed. And a peace treaty was signed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Instead of your blood, his blood, that's what it was signed in. So the truth is this. We have peace with God, but you know what that leads to? And a lot of you don't realize this because you don't enjoy having being at peace with God. The moment you start realizing how good God has been to you, you'll start enjoying the peace of God. You'll start to realize, man, God is, uh, the uh, life is good. Go to Colossians. You're in Romans. We'll come back to it in a moment. But Colossians 3.15. You can hold your place there in Romans. Colossians 3.15. <clears throat> Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then comes Colossians. Chapter 3. Verse 15, now being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Those prepositions have meaning. And verse 15 says, let the peace of God, is God at rest? Is God at peace or is he freaking out, panicking? No, the kind of peace he has, the peace of God, let it rule in your hearts. To the which also you are called in one body and be ye thankful. Let the peace of God. If I now have peace with God, I can be at peace with myself. I can be at peace with, with my situations. I can be at peace with my enemies even because I have now the peace of God. Isn't that awesome? Don't you tell me there's no joy in Christianity. There is when we realize what we have. And all the benefits, we'll go back to Romans chapter 5. I'm going to read down to verse 11. All the benefits of chapter 5 are priceless. They are gems. They are treasures. Chapter 5 and verse 1. I read it before. I'm going to start there again. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's heaven. And not only so, but we glory not just in the future, but in the now, in tribulations also. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience. It produces patience. And patience produces experience. And experience, hope. And hope maketh not ashamed. We'd say it this way. Hope is never embarrassed. Because it's never you're, you're never let down. You're never, uh, God doesn't break a promise. Hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet, sin, uh, yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. You think Paul would write this without a smile on his face? This is thrilling. This is like victory. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God, he commendeth his love toward us and that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't die for good people, worthy people. He died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood 
We shall be saved, hallelujah, from the wrath, from wrath through him, through Jesus. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, <clears throat> but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Now, there's a lot of doctrine in there. A lot of, we're, we're just taking some, some time going through these things. And I want to talk about the benefits of faith. You saw all those words. We're justified. There's grace. There's access to God. There's joy. There's rejoicing and hope. There's the love of God. Did you notice one of the benefits of being made right with God is I now have the Holy Spirit of God. I'm saved from wrath. I have new life. I have a different life, and I have something called the atonement. And all those things are important. Modern Christians don't learn these things. They just want fire insurance. They just want to get out of hell. Well, guess what? God wants to give you a whole lot more than just escape from hell. So let's look at this. By way of review, we learned we are justified by faith. That means we were made right. We were wrong, and then we were made right. Most everybody I know, instead, they, they justify themselves, trying to make what they do right. Well, you don't understand. You don't understand where, what I put up with. You don't understand what I have to deal with. I have to do this sin because I don't have this. And you're justifying yourself. And the truth is you better let God justify you or else you'll go to hell. Being made right by God, and that means he takes away the record of your crime. It does not mean you didn't do it. I mean, you may lust, steal, lie. I don't care what you do. There are effects of your sin, but according to God, he can remove the record. He can take away the record, and instead of it being like it never happened, Jesus was punished for it instead of you. You see how it works? God didn't just forget. He's not an old dementia guy. He actually put all that sin on you, on him, and he put his righteousness on you, and there's no record on you. When God looks at you, you know what he sees? His son. He sees forgiven, no record. He looks at Gavin and says, there is no past. That guy, it's, it's, I'll say it this way. Somebody described it this way. If you're justified, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Now, you did. You sinned. You broke almost every commandment, if not every one of them. But if you've been justified, it's as if you've never sinned before. That's the position. When God looks at you, he doesn't, go to, he doesn't come along and says, oh, led better. You know what I think 25 years ago I'm still upset about? He doesn't do that. It's as if I never did it. He moves on and he says, we have peace with God. Isaiah 48, 22, don't go there. It says, there is no peace, saith my God, unto the wicked. You would hope that to be true, by the way. Somebody who does you wrong, you hope they can't sleep at night. Amen? How many of you ever said, I hope... I hope they have nightmares all night. <laughs> I hope they choke on their cereal. I hope they get hiccups for the next 10 years. It, it's, it's that inner justice we seek, and we say, God, is there justice? And there is. There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. God will make it so if you live in sin, if you mess around with sin, you'll never be happy. You may think you are. You may think you're free to do as you want, but there's no joy. Do you know what? Right now they say that there's somewhere between 25 to 35% of all adult women are on some sort of mood enhancer, some sort of, of tablet there. And I'm not faulting any of those women. I'm just saying this. They're struggling to sleep. They're struggling with the past. They're struggling with life. I don't know how many men are on those kind of things. I'm just telling you, our 
culture is not happy. They may think they're happy when they've had five pints, but they're not happy. There is no peace, saith my God. You say, I've never, I'm, I live a boring life. I don't go drinking. I don't smoke. I'm so boring. No, you're sane. You may be stupidly um, uh, lazy. There's a life to live out there. There's some edges to push. There's some excitement to have. You don't have to have five pints before you start to laugh. You can tell bad jokes and still get a laugh. Amen. I'm proof of that. Peace with God. Paul's saying you can have peace with God. Now, most people, when you think of peace, you think of, of, uh, you think of this guy, you know? I mean, I knew guys like this. Right? My brother was one of them, all right? I mean, dress and all, man. <laughs> the colors. I mean, his, uh, he lived up in the loft in our house. He wanted to live up in the attic. And there were rainbows, and there was colors, and there was music, and incense, and stuff. Amen. <laughs> that's, that was his thing, amen. <clears throat> Wasn't my thing. But when we think of peace, that's what we think about. But there's one other type, and it's that. We bury somebody, and we say, may they rest in peace. You know, if those are my only two choices, <laughs> that's not what I'm looking for. You know what we're given? We're given the opportunity to be at peace now. I don't have to wait till I die. You don't need to put on my tombstone, rest in peace. No, no, I ought to be resting right now. No matter how much stress, no matter how much trouble I got, we have right now peace with God because it's a gift. It is a gift. Uh, Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not, not of yourself. It is the gift of God. You have peace with God. I said also last week, we have access. Verse 2 says, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace. Now, grace is not a person. I met a lady yesterday. Her name was Grace. And she was going through a hard time. And I said, but you've got a good name. And if you would trust not your name, but the person who is gracious, that's his character. So you have the name Grace, but it's the character of God to be gracious to sinners. And he loves you, and he wants you. He'd like to, he'd like to save you. Grace is not the name of a person. Grace is an attitude that God has towards sinners. We were facing God's wrath. Catholic Church says, you got to ask God. You got to access God through sacraments and through good works and through Mary and through faithful saints for the dead and the mass and all this stuff. Yet the Bible says, all you need is Jesus. Jesus actually says, I'm the door. He says, no man comes to the Father. You want grace? You go through Jesus Christ. If you pray to Mary, you're wasting your prayer. She can't hear you. You pray to your dear, beloved, uh, godly grandmother. She can't hear you. You know who can? Jesus Christ. You know who died for you? Not Mary, not the Pope, not blessed John the Baptist. Jesus Christ died. And all you do is you talk to him and you have access to grace. Uh, Hebrews 4, 16 says, Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy to help in time of need. Let me tell you, you want to go straight to the throne of God, not through any diversion. You don't want to be stopped and, and examined. No, you want to go straight to the throne of grace and get help. You go through Jesus Christ. He says, uh, uh, um, thirdly, in verse 2, he says, by whom we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Now, what that means is that 
a guilty sinner, when you become born again, your legal standing, everybody may know you as that drunkard for the last 10 years. Everybody may know you as that person who, you know, messed up doing this and you were into that and you were thieving and whatever's in your past. But as far as God's concerned, you're no longer ruined, defeated, condemned. You're absolutely forgiven. You are a saint. You are a child of God. You are born again. That's the gospel, amen? When a Christian starts to let this stuff sink in, starts realizing, Phew, I don't have to live up to any more expectations. I don't have to constantly be failing to do good and to do, I am accepted. I am forgiven. I, every day I get to start over fresh. Yeah, I mess up. Yeah, I have to say I'm sorry to God 57 times a day, if not 570. I am still okay, no matter what. Say, so what if you turn your back on God? He cannot turn his back on me. He's my father now. See, good dads don't abandon their children. Amen. And God won't abandon you even if you walk out on him. He will stay with you. He won't leave you alone. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. We have a right standing with God. You know, my, 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 uh, my goal this morning is to get some of you to say amen. All right? Because this stuff is good. Amen. There's four of you. Amen. Verse 2. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. And what's that next word? Rejoice. I got one. Say it with me rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory. Glory means thrill in our tribulations also. Normally, tribulation gives tears, but troubles, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope, make it not ashamed. I'm never going to be ashamed of what God has promised me because they all come true because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Got more to talk about, but he says we've been given joy, one of the benefits of being, a, being justified. You know, all of the things we looked about, justified, peace of God, uh, peace with God, these things, uh, access to grace, those are all internal. Those are things you experience in, in silence sometimes when you're alone, when you're in your car, when you're at your bedside, you can experience the peace of God and the peace with God. But let me show you something that shows on the outside. These things are visible evidence of our relationship with God. And the first one is joy. All of this work of God should cause Christians to get happy, amen? It ought to be. I mean, when was the last time you saw it in Europe? <clears throat> I'm not talking about in India or China, but when was the last time you saw at a wedding that the groom and the, and the bridesmaid were sad? I got to marry this guy. This is an arranged marriage from before we were born. I understand. No joy there. But when most of you were getting married, come on, be honest, you were happy. There was, there was a relationship that was building and growing, and it was a lifetime you were preparing for. Woo! Bring it on. Get it over with. I want to go on my honeymoon. You had joy. You know, when you got born again, that's the same feeling. And it ought to bring joy to you. Where, there's, there, where we just are happy about a relationship. I don't care if God takes away health, takes away wealth. I mean, if God just brought trouble in my life for the rest of my life, God's been good enough. Amen. Now, the sooner you say that, the sooner you'll be thankful for tomorrow when he doesn't take it away. Amen. 
and it'll may, it'll enable you so when your life when your health does go and when your when your dog does run away and when the car won't start and you'll still be happy anyway because this relationship is right it makes everything else right you know it shows in our singing or the lack of it I don't know what happened to churches being loud when singing and rejoicing. I mean, I don't even mind if you clap hands. Uh, don't, don't leave it to the choir. I mean, some of you, you want a choir up here singing. I love choirs. But when you're waiting for the choir to have joy before you smile, you're missing it. You're missing it. It's for us. Every one of us should be joying. You know, Christianity is a singing religion. Jesus his followers sing because we have joy in our hearts because of what God's done for us, what he's doing for us. And we know what he's going to do for us in the future, man. That's why the Muslims don't sing. You ever go and you ever watch Muslims? They don't sing. They can't sing. Muhammad never did anything for his disciples. Allah never did one thing for anybody who ever submitted to him. Allah doesn't do anything. He expects the Muslims to do everything for him. You know what? My Savior did everything for me. No wonder I should sing. You see that thing? We sing loud and glad, at least we ought to, because of Jesus and heaven and forgiveness and the blood and blessings. You ought to open up your hymnal and see all the things that are in there, man, that bring joy. First evidence of, sal of salvation is joy. I wonder if any of some of you are saved because I never see joy. And then there's anticipation. We look forward to stuff. Man, uh, listen to Paul in Romans uh, chapter 5, verse 2. He says, uh, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, verse 3, and not only, also, not only so, but we glory in tribulations. We look forward to it. Look in 2 Corinthians. You're in Romans. Go to the right. Find 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. One of the ways that, that the world knows you're saved is not that you can doctrinally quote a Bible verse. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody's going to go, huh? But if there's a smile on your face and there's tears running down your eyes, they'll go, what did he say? You know, the two men were at a funeral, and one of them was asked, to read the Lord's uh, read uh, Psalm 23, and he was a, a, a theologian with two doctorates and a PhD and all this stuff. And he got up and he said, "The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down." And he was very flowery and wonderful, and everybody's going, ah, "Hmm." And then there was an older man there who was the best friend of that guy who just died. And he said, "Can can I?" Can I read it now? And as that man stood up and with tears in his eyes, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He restoreth my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou anointest my head with joy. And there wasn't a dry eye in that room because one of them could quote it. The other one was living it. You see the difference? 
And when we quote scripture and when we know doctrine and we know the Bible and we don't have any joy, the world doesn't take notice of us, does it? Does it? Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul says this. <clears throat> we'll go back to verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure, full of pride, through the abundance of the revelations. And God was giving him a lot of revelations right in scripture. He said, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. When I was about, oh, I don't know, eight or nine years old, I was playing out in the back garden. We were barefoot. I don't think I wore shoes till I was 11. <laughs> and I was back there, and I stuck my hand. On, we were chasing after each other like we were horses and playing cowboys and Indians. You can't even play cowboys and Indians anymore. But you can, you, never mind, I won't go. So, uh, and I, I put my hand right down on, on one of these wasps. Uh, we called them a bumblebee with a stinger on it. And the stinger went right into my hand. And my hand swelled up like a catcher's mitt. <laughs> Just, and I'm screaming, I'm running inside. Do you know what I wanted? That thing out of there. Well, Paul says there was a thorn given into my flesh. Look at it. He says it was the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. He says, I want it out. Whatever God was putting into his life as an agitator, as, as pain, as the messenger of Satan, he says, get it out. Three times he asked, verse 9, and he, Jesus, said unto me, no. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness, in your weakness. Paul then goes on, he says, well, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory, that's our word, rejoice in my infirmities so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure. I don't do that. I'm not there yet. But Paul says, I take pleasure in infirmities and in weaknesses, in reproaches when people mock and attack me. In necessities, when I don't have enough to eat, when there's not enough to pay the bills, I glory in my necessities. In persecutions, in distresses. Say, Christians don't have trouble. Christians have trouble. We get distressed. We don't know what to do. And Paul says, "Woo! I'm enjoying it. <laughs> in distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, that's when I'm strong in Christ." We rejoice, and it's called joyfully enduring. Uh, all our troubles, why do we do that? Because we know our troubles have value. We know uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 says, Our light affliction works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. My little bit of trouble is nothing to compare with what God's going to make up for it in the future. Troubles are never enjoyable, but they're always for our good. You ought to memorize Romans 8.28. For we know that all things work together for good. All things. To them that love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. They are valuable. Uh, troubles produce patience. Patience produces experience. God knows we need solid experience in our Christian life instead of only talking about it. And experience produces hope. I've, I know people who have no hope. They just give up. They find out they're sick and they just die. They just, they just figure, I'm on my way out. <laughs> Let me tell you, you better have some hope. You need to have some way of saying, Lord, whatever you're doing, I'm just going to keep going until I'm finished. 
experience produces hope or you know it's never over till God says it's over. Amen. And that hope, man, we're never ashamed of it. We're never disappointed. No Christian will ever be disappointed trusting God. You will never be let down because he's a good God that cannot lie. Now, those are all evidence of salvation. Let me give you a few more. Look in verse 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. <clears throat> Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. Do you realize one of the evidences or the proofs that you're saved is the Holy Spirit in you? Look in verse 5. He says, Hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the who? By the Holy Ghost, which is earned by you? Bought by you? Used to be they had this, what we call a crime, of simony. And for a thousand years in the Dark Ages, you went to the, uh, to the bishop and you bought the anointing of the Holy Spirit in order to become a priest. It's called simony. It comes from the Bible where in Acts chapter uh, 5, 6, and 7, somewhere in there, one of these guys tries to buy the Holy Spirit. And you don't buy it. It's given. Do you know how many people in this room, if you're saved, how many of you have the Holy Spirit? Every single one of you. It is a gift. It is the most priceless gift for a Christian. You know what the truth is? The truth is the Holy Ghost dwells in every believer. Next time you're watching something on television, remember he's watching it with you. Next time you're getting agitated and you want to punch somebody in the face, remember he's in there trying to tell you, don't do it, <laughs> don't do it. The Holy Spirit is there. God's no longer separate from us. What a priceless reality. Look in chapter 8 and verse 8. You're in Romans chapter six, uh, 5. Look in chapter 8 and verse 8. Romans 8, 8. So then they that are in the flesh cannot ever please God. You try to, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray this way. I'm going to say these words. I'm going to give this money. That doesn't please God. Your heart pleases God. If your heart's right, everything you do pleases God. Does that make sense? You know, if God has your heart, he's got your wallet. Amen? You don't pull out your wallet and give a fiver or a tenner and say, God, I hope you're happy. Not when you have that attitude. But if you give him your heart and you've only got five in your wallet, that five or even nothing, nothing you do makes God's happy in the flesh. It's your heart that makes him happy because he's the one activating it. Romans 8, 8 says, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye, Christians, are not in the flesh now, but you're in the Spirit. If so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, guess what? He's none of his. So if you don't have the Spirit of God, you're not saved. I ha I've had been asked several times, have you, have you had the second blessing? Do you have the Holy Spirit? I go, got him the day I got saved. The very moment. I didn't even know I got him. But I got, I got baptized in the Spirit. Did you speak in tongues? No. I just wept like a baby, and I just praised God I'm forgiven. That's the Holy Spirit, and that's the gift. You got him the moment you got saved. And you don't get the Holy Spirit by being holy. Thank God. You got him just because you believed. See, there's a whole bunch of religions out there, so you got to live up to this, you got to do this. Just... I'm justified by faith, I'm kept by Jesus Christ, and I'm filled with the Spirit by, the, by God's own will, 
as I yield him. I'll talk about that in a second, but what a gift. Now, here's the point. How do I know somebody's got the Holy Spirit? How do I know they're in them? Well, he's changing your life. He's changing you. A great proof of salvation is that you don't enjoy sin like you used to. Amen. He's that inner voice that was never there before salvation. It's kind of like, who said that? Who said I shouldn't be watching this? Where's my wife? <laughs> Where's my mom? No, no, no. The Holy Spirit's the one talking to you. you, if, you if you read the Bible and there's no voice in there saying, yes, yes, read that again. That's right. That's you. If there's no voice that's talking to you as you read the Bible, I'd wonder, is the Holy Spirit in you? Because that's how he talks. If, in your, if you're in your own world and you're living just for the world and for yourself and you have no conscience, no thought that maybe I'm doing wrong, you have to ask yourself, maybe I burned out my conscience, but you can't burn out the Holy Spirit. He will haunt you. He will stay on you. He'll make you miserable. I know guys who were saved, and a couple years later, they fell back onto the drink, and they used to be able to stop at three or four pints. Now they got to do seven or eight because they're trying to get that buzz back and doesn't come back. And that's the proof you're saved. It's not the fact that you don't sin. It's the fact that you don't enjoy sin like you used to. God won't let you. He'll give you joy when you're giving the gospel out. He'll give you joy when you're humbling yourself and you're just doing the right thing. He'll give you joy. That's his job. Uh, he changes your life as you yield to him. You want to be a better man? Submit. Submit, and we're going to get into it in, Genesis, in Romans chapter 6. Bang, bang, bang is going to hammer us that I need to yield. I need to just yield and let him be in charge. I need, and all of a sudden you find everybody looking around you going, they like me. People like me now because they see Jesus in me instead of me. And then one more thing here. Verse 5, he says this. Back in Romans 5, 5. And hope maketh not ashamed because, here's that wonderful part, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Think about it. The Holy Spirit, now that you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you know what he's spreading around inside of you and me? The love of God. Uh, being loved is probably the most sought-after feeling. I know people want to be happy, but there's nothing like being loved, amen? Nothing like just somebody coming up saying, I love you. There's nothing like that. Now, truly, truly, we're not talking about our love for him. I mean, what kind of love do I have for him? But his love for us. Go to 1 John <clears throat> 1 John chapter 4, almost to Revelation. A couple little books there, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10. The Holy Spirit's filling us with the love of God when we let him. 1 John 4 verse 10. Hearing his love. You want to know what love is? Not that we love God. Oh, you know, I love God, Pastor. I really love Jesus. Really? I go to church oh, about once a month. <laughs> oh, I give 20 years. Whatever you may think you do, think about it. We're not, when we talk about love, we don't talk about our love for God. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation, the full payment for our sins. Go down to verse 19. 
The only reason why we love him is why? Because he first loved us. The very fact that God loved us when we were sinful, ungodly people is good news. A sinful person under the wrath of God, living like a criminal, hiding from the law, fleeing capture and judgment, that's us before we got saved. And then somebody says, you know, one of the things that's kind of cute, Jesus says to one of his, he says a parable, he says, uh, a guy's got a big dinner and he calls for all of the scheduled guests and they all give excuse saying, I'm busy. I just got married. I just got a cow. <laughs> and they're all busy. And so this, this homeowner, this, this guy says, I want my house to be full. I want you to go and invite everybody you can meet. Tell them there's dinner prepared. Tell them it's free. And the servant went out, and he brought people in. And the servant said, yet there is room. And you know what the homeowner said? I want you to go out to the highways and the hedges. Now, who lives in a hedge? Think about it. I mean, number one, you're stopping a guy on a highway. He's busy doing his own thing. Stop, stop. You want a meal? You want, are you hungry? My master's got a free dinner waiting. You're stopping people on a busy schedule, and then you're looking in the hedge. You're going, I see you. <laughs> Come on out. You're invited too. Isn't that Jesus? Isn't that awesome? That Jesus doesn't say, now there's some people that aren't worthy. No, none of us are worthy. The question is, do you want it? It's not, it's not that we're loving. It's that he went after us and he loved us question is this where can you find such love well we already read it God I read it there in 1 John 4 10 it says here in his love that not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation the full payment um, there's only one place where the sinner the criminal the ungodly the guilty can find and experience the love of God and it may not be church you may come to church and go, I don't feel much love here. Yeah, we may have an off day. But this isn't where you find love, folks. You find love at the foot of the cross, and not some cross at the church. It's the cross 2,000 years ago, and you realize that was the love of God. That was the kiss of God on this lost world. Golgotha, it's called, the place of the skull. Calvary, where Jesus died. The crucifixion was the love of God. His wrath on him so he could show his love on us. You want love? Learn about the cross. <clears throat> Again, I read about a, uh, a, uh, a man who was dying, and uh, <clears throat> they couldn't find a blood match, and he needed, he needed he, both his kidneys had failed, and so they phoned up a guy um, and uh, uh, asked him, do you have a blood type? Uh, that matches so-and-so. He said, yeah. He says, well, we, we've got to do a blood transfusion. We're looking for a kidney. And his friend said this. His friend said, you can take one of mine. He says, well, no, we can't do that. We've we, we, we got to go through the procedures. He said, you've got a kidney. My blood type matches the kidney. Were, and they took his kidney. They went ahead and did it. It was back in the 1970s. Took his kidney, gave it to him. That guy woke up and realized over in the other bed was his friend. He said, what happened to him? He says, well, he's not doing so well. He's kind of having bad reaction to the uh, uh, surgery. He says, that's my friend. What happened to him? Well, he was trying to help somebody out, and it's not working out too well. He might die. 
The guy sitting on the bed, he yelled over to me. He says, boy, you better not die. Somebody just gave me another chance on life. You better not die. I want to spend more time with your friend. And the friend looked up and gave the thumbs up and then died. And that man sitting in that, that bed leaned back, started to cry. He said, who did he try to help? And the nurse said, you. He gave a kidney, and it ended up things going wrong. And he gave his life so that you'd have a second chance of life. And you tell me that man would ever go back to drinking, that man would ever go back to living the way he used to. That man was given a second chance, and it costs his best friend his life, who did it willingly. How could he not be thankful and say, I have the best friend in the world? And don't we have the best friend in Jesus, who in order to save me and give me this second chance on eternal life, he gave his. Where do you find such love? That's where you find it. There's two more gospel gems next week. I love these. I hope you're enjoying them. I mean, God wrote them. <laughs> but you know, the truth is this. All it takes is a choice, man. All it takes is one decision. All you have to do is receive it. It's kind of cute. You have to accept his acceptance of you. He already accepts me. Will I accept him? Faith simply accepts with an open, unconditioned heart. You just receive his forgiveness without conditions. You say, I'll take it. Um, belief is never a feeling. Well, I feel like believing. That's charismatic. I feel like going to church. That's religion. I know I need a savior. That's salvation. Belief is always a decision to believe. Don't say, I'm waiting to believe. No, you choose to believe. And that's when you trust. I, 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 my mom got into an airplane in her life probably twice. You know how she got in there? Probably with a lot of Valium on the side. But she got in there because she decided, I'm just going to trust. She had to believe she wasn't going to die because she's scared of flights, scared of heights and flying. And you're going to have to just trust God, whether you feel like it or not. And a choice to accept what God says about me, about himself, and about his son. It's that simple. Uh Jesus is God's best promise to you. All you got to do is say, I want it. Um, is there any evidence of justification in your life? Does your family know you as a happy man, a happy woman, or a just angry, giving up, quitting? Let me, ask you, let me ask you, examine yourself. See if you're in the faith. Say, is the Holy Spirit even there? Maybe you've quenched him for years and years. You know what? It doesn't take two seconds for you to humble yourself. And this is what we need. We need a church full of people willing to say, God, I've gotten hard, and I'm sorry. And I want the Holy Spirit to shine. I want the gift of the Holy Spirit to be evident in my life. I want joy. I can't work it up. I try every pill. I try every bottle. I want the Holy Spirit to be evident, and I want joy to be evident. That doesn't mean I don't get upset. That doesn't mean I don't get frustrated. But generally, my life is full of joy and, and endurance. I just get with it. I just keep going because I'm anticipating a better day. Is there any evidence? According to the Bible, you're either at war with God or you're at peace. You're either saved or you're lost. And most people can tell. You ever been in somewhere somebody said, are you a Christian? They can tell. They can tell. 
If nobody's ever accused you of being a Christian, maybe you're not. Mm -hmm. Will anyone in this room admit today that they're in trouble with God and ready to accept the free gift of eternal life? It's that good and it's that. It's ready for you now. Stand with me. Let's bow in prayer. <clears throat> Maybe in this room, God, some hard hearts have been softened. I sure hope so. Maybe in this room, there's a couple of hearts that have been hiding. They've been hiding from you. They've been angry and blaming you for everything wrong in their life when it's sin. It's the devil. It's the world. It's, it's not your fault. We make a mess of things, and then we like to pass the blame. And we need to realize we can't fix our life, but we can fix our destiny. We can fix our heart. We can be born all over again. Only it takes once. We were born once, and we will die twice without Jesus Christ. But if anybody in this room would get born again, <laughs> they may not even die. They may go straight to heaven at the rapture, but this life, when it's over, we walk right into the presence of Jesus Christ. That's what we preach in this church. That's what we focus on here, the gospel and how good it is to be saved. Lord, if there's somebody hiding, trying to be religious, trying to be good, trying to let everybody think they're okay when they're not, I pray today they decide, I, I trust Jesus Christ today. I believe he died for me. And I'm trusting him for my salvation. You can ask him. Call upon the name of the Lord. Thief on the cross cried out and said to him, remember me. I believe you're going to live on. Would you get me in? And Jesus said, you're in. Talk to him. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You can talk to him right now if you're not saved. If you've looked into your heart and your life, you go, there's a mess. Well, it could be all kinds of different reasons. Make sure it's not that you're still lost. Lord, if you would just humble us and help us to confess that we've kind of cooled off. Our singing's not excited. Our, our, our endurance is very short. If you did all of this for us, what are we doing for you? Just the little things. I pray we'd get busy with joy. In Jesus' name, amen.